You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. So we want to continue our series this morning through the Psalms. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 17 because last week we looked at Psalm 16. Um, Professor Peter Craig in his commentary on the Psalms suggests that this Psalm is an innocent person's prayer for protection. What do we do when our world crashes in? Where do we go when we're unfairly accused like this child up above? In faith we cry out, Lord, I need you. And as we have looked at the Psalms, we've discovered there are various kinds of Psalms. There are Psalms of praise and there are Psalms of lament. Psalms where where the writer pours out their concerns, even their complaints to God. And prayer, uh, Psalm 17 is a lament psalm. It's actually a prayer lament psalm. There's superscriptions that are above a whole bunch of the psalms. And in Psalm 17, there's a little superscription in italics that says, A prayer of David. And since it's ascribed to David, we may find connections to events in David's life. It's also specifically defined as a prayer psalm. And many of the psalms have prayers within them, but there are five psalms which are, have that superscription that are in particular prayer psalms. Psalm 142, 102, 90, 86, and this one, Psalm 17. Now perhaps before we look at this psalm in detail, let me make a few general comments about the psalms and how they impact our worship in the 21st century. As we learned last week, the book of Psalms was the hymn book of the people of God, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And actually, the Psalms isn't really one book. It actually is composed of five books, or originally five scrolls, which probably line up with the five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah. And each section of the Psalm then ends with a benediction. So if you look through the book of Psalms, if you have your Bible with you, book one of Psalms begins from Psalm 1, to Psalm 41. And at the end of Psalm 41, there's a benediction that says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then begins book two, the second scroll, Psalm 42 to 72, again ending in a similar benediction. Book three, Psalm 73 to 89, with the benediction. Psalm four, or the fourth book, Psalm 90 to 106, again the benediction. And then the final book, Book 5, Psalm 107 to 150, which ends with this acclamation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord or Alleluia. Psalm 150, verse 6. Interestingly, in the Hebrew Bible, the whole book that we call Psalms is actually called the book of praises. And there's a Hebrew word for that, which I won't attempt because none of you know Hebrew and neither do I. The alternative title for the book, Psalms, which we use in our English Bible, literally means a song accompanied by music, or more specifically, a song accompanied by a harp. And the book of Psalms was the worship manual for Old Testament believers. It was their hymn book, those of us old enough to remember such things. Now we have the overhead. The Psalms were sung and recited in the temple celebrations. Now as occurs today, and it's proper, believers in Old Testament times used the Psalms for personal worship and encouragement, as we too can do. 
But the primary application of the Psalms was in public worship, like what we are doing this morning. And as best we can tell, all of the Psalms were set to music. They were meant to be sung. Now, it's always interesting now you can search on the internet. I thought, I wonder what they sounded like. And so I searched, you know, what did the Psalms sound like? And the kind of music, it reminded me of a Gregorian chant, but anyhow, we won't try and mimic that for you this morning. Um, many of the Psalms have a notation above them. If you turn to the next Psalm, Psalm 18, there's a little notation which says, to the choir master, or the King James Version has that in the title. It says, to the chief musician, which reminds us of the musical setting of the Psalms. The Old Testament worshipers were a singing people. Now, perhaps you've heard stories of how the old rabbis would memorize the entire book of Psalms. That'll keep you busy this afternoon, won't it, when you go to memorize the whole book. I find that amazing. I find it really difficult to memorize one paragraph. But there's a couple of things to keep in mind. In the original Hebrew, as they memorized it, there was a cadence to the poetry that's not there in the English. Sometimes the poems were acrostic. There was things to remind us, just like we may have acrostics to remind us of things today. But there was an even bigger issue. The ancient rabbis could more easily memorize all the psalms because they were set to music. How many of you have been to a wedding? Some of you were to a wedding this week, and the DJ begins playing a Shania Twain song or an Abba song, and you discover you are singing along with every word of that song. When did you memorize it? Well, I'm pretty certain that it wasn't because your mother sent you up to your bedroom and said, Jimmy, would you memorize those pop songs? Uh, no, it just happens. My wife Sharon was a long-term care nurse for many years at Chartwell over here in Elmira. And she tells story after story of seniors who had lost almost all sense of time and meaning. And yet, as an old song, as an old hymn was played, they would join in and sing every word. Words by themselves are easily forgotten, but when words are connected to music, they embed deep within our hearts and our minds. I'm not a psychology kind of guy, but it, it, it gets both sides of our brain, our left side, our analytical side, our right side, our emotional side. Music engages our intellect and our emotions, our thinking and our feeling. And that is why singing is so important in our life as a church. And we've kind of emphasized that over the last few weeks. This is why we sing songs with biblical content and engaging music. And the Psalms give us a basis and an inspiration for words we can worship by. Keith and Kristen Getty in their book, Sing, which is a good read, say this. First, the Psalms give us a vast vision of who God is. Second, the Psalms show us how to deal with real life. The Psalms show us a God who is so much greater than we could ever imagine. And the Psalms speak to the troubles of life that are so much more than we ever expected. Tim Keller, Tim and Kathy Keller, I, I call him Saint Tim, um, <laughs> since we quote him so often. Tim and Kathy Keller in their book on the Psalms called The Songs of Jesus says this, the Psalms are not just a matchless primer of teaching, but a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. Hymns, spiritual songs, and psalms give words for our conviction and they give encouragement for our hearts. 
And as we sing great songs together, songs of worship, as we sing together here in church, we publicly profess as individuals and as a congregation, this is what we believe. And even more, as we sing in harmony, as some of us try to do, we illustrate that together we praise in a way that is, quite frankly, impossible to do all by yourself. Singing great Christian songs and hymns and psalms in church engages our mind, moves our emotions, declares our beliefs, and reinforces the reality of our united faith. This is why we sing in worship. This is why we sing together. This is why there's a book of psalms. Now turn again with me to Psalm 17, and we'll follow along in the book in this chapter together. This psalm certainly fits within the category of a psalm that shows us how to deal with the realities of life. And in particular, a psalm to hold on to when we are experiencing injustice and when we have been unfairly attacked or unfairly treated. When we are overwhelmed, we cry out, Lord, I need you. There are three key words that we're going to find in the text, and they summarize the whole prayer. And they are this, hear, keep, deliver. Look together with me at Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 1. Hear, a just cause. Give ear to my prayer. Look at verse 6. Hear my words. Hear. Lord, listen to my plea. Verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Lord, keep me safe in times of trouble. Verse 13, deliver my soul from the wicked. Lord, rescue, liberate, deliver. Hear, keep, deliver. This psalm is a prayer for justice and rescue. Psalm 17 is a prayer song. And today, while many of the songs we sing, the ones we sang this morning, are songs of praise, we still sing prayer songs. Lord, I need you. Isn't that what this psalm is saying? I need you to hear. I need you to protect. I need you to deliver. The modern worship song, which you'll sing later, says it this way, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. So the question in Psalm 17 is, what was the psalmist's problem? Why was he complaining? Why did he need the Lord to hear, protect, and deliver? And the answer is found in verse 9 to 12. Look together with me at those verses. Here is why he was praying so desperately. Because there were those who sought his destruction. They literally wanted to kill him. The wicked who do me violence, verse 9. My deadly enemies that surround me, verse 10. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. No wonder the psalmist was passionate in prayer. There was big trouble in his life. Big trouble all around. This psalm is attributed to David, and there certainly were times when the violence surrounded him, and lion-like men wanted to tear him apart. And the story of one of those uh, situations is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16 to 1 Samuel 31. 
And I sat down last week and read that through. They're stories which maybe bring you back to Sunday school days, but they're not Sunday school stories. They're stories for adults going through tough times. When King Saul sought to kill David on numerous occasions, even though David had done no wrong, he had not asked for it, Saul developed a deep jealousy towards him. And in 1 Samuel 18, it tells the story of the day when David was playing his harp in, among the musicians in the court. And in a foul, depressed, even paranoid mood, Saul throws his spear at David to pin him to the wall. And he didn't do that just once. He did it a second time. And like many abusers before and after, he apologized. And then he continued his violent ways. And even though David was Saul's son-in-law, for David was married to Saul's daughter, Michal, Saul hunted him as an animal, as a fugitive through the caves of the wilderness of Judea, hoping that he could annihilate David and cut him in pieces once and for all. No wonder David calls out for the Lord to hear, protect, and deliver. Brothers and sisters, it is when we are in desperate times of trouble that we call most passionately to the Lord. Times when life is caving in. Times when nothing seems to help. Times when all the things we tried didn't work. Times when we just don't know what to do. Even times when others seem intent on destroying us, even though we have done nothing wrong. I'm sure this psalm is an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, even today. Look at Psalm 17, verse 1. Here's his complaint. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. But continue to read. Look at verse 3. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed with my mouth that I will not transgress. With regards to men's activity, the works of men, by the word of your lips, that is, by the word of God, by the Bible, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. What do these verses mean? In a nutshell, they mean the psalmist is saying, I am innocent. I've done nothing wrong. Even though I'm innocent, my enemies are trying to destroy me. Now, I don't know how you are, but I, I find myself pushing back a little bit when people say, oh, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. And I think, well, really? Is there not like two sides to the story? Someone has said when it comes to marriage counseling, it can be separated into three categories. There's his story, there's her story, and then there's the rest of the story. But the psalmist isn't claiming perfection. In this situation, he's not saying I'm perfect. He's saying I'm innocent, and I refuse to re resort to violence because of those who are after me. In the story of David and Saul, in 1 Samuel 16 to 31, on two occasions, David has a chance to take vengeance on Saul. He actually has a chance to kill him, but he refuses to do it. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, the story is told of how when David is out in the wilderness of En Gedi and he's hiding in this deep cave, and who comes into the front of the cave either to go to the bathroom or have a rest? The text isn't really exactly clear. It's Saul himself. And while King Saul is in the cave, David quietly sneaks up behind him and cuts off a little bit of his royal robe. And when Saul had left the cave and was a safe distance away on the next hill, 
David emerges from the cave, and here's what happens next. Look together with me at 1 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my husband did not see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt for my life, to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. For whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David was completely innocent. He had done nothing wrong and he refused to do wrong. 1 Samuel 24 verse 15 kind of summarizes, actually maybe it's the inspiration for this psalm because it's a summary of Psalm 17. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Psalm 17 verse 1, hear a just cause, attend to my cry. Why? Because the enemy seeks to destroy me. Why? Because I'm innocent. Look at verse 8. Keep me, says the psalmist, as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wing. Keep me, hide me, in a word, protect me. Powerful word pictures of the Lord's protection. The apple of your eye, that's the pupil of your eye. Possibly the most sensitive piece area in your entire body. It is protected by a lightning fast reflex, your eyelid, faster than any other reflex in the body. Your eye is protected for good reason, for it's the gateway to sight. The pupil of your eye is sensitive, fragile, and vulnerable. It's kind of a picture of our whole human condition, isn't it? Fragile, sensitive, and vulnerable. Different parts of our body have very different abilities to perceive pain and sensory input. And one of the ways that physicians measure sensory perception is through something called the two-point discrimination test. You think, what is that? The two-point discrimination test. Here's what it is. That is, how far apart do two points have to be before they're no longer perceived as one? Now, there are really fancy medical instruments that do this, but I, I didn't bring along any fancy medical instruments. I brought along a little green repair kit, which I need to use when I attempt to play golf, or as someone said, when a good walk is spoiled. So this little repair is just perfect because it has two little prongs about one centimeter apart. So if you don't believe this, you try it at home, okay? I tried it on Sharon and she said, I don't believe that. And so I tried it. I, so I put it in her back because in our back, our two-point discrimination of sensitivity and pain is anywhere from one to three centimeters. That is, anywhere between one to three centimeters when there's two prongs in your back, 
you will say there's one, and that's normal. If it's four or five centimeters apart, you've got a problem. So when you push this into someone's back, you can try it yourself, you'll just feel one prong. And then I showed Sharon, I said, look, magic trick, there's two prongs, right? But when we put it on our fingertip, our two-point perception on our fingertips is about a half a centimeter. And so I feel those two prongs. I put it on my back, I just feel one, all right? You say, what's that all about? Okay, when it comes to the pupil of your eye, your two-point discrimination is millimeters. It's millimeters. Just a speck of dust can drive us crazy. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadows of your wings. Those newborn hatch the weak helpless. But under the eagle's powerful wings, no matter how weak they are, they're safe from harm. Keep me. Hide me. Protect me. You know, we haven't gone very far in our Christian lives before this prayer becomes our prayer. Keep me. Hide me. Protect me. Whether it's from the unfair attack from without or the temptations from within which so easily can trip us up and pull us down, or just the everyday difficulties of life, the storms of life. It was just a few Saturdays ago, actually it was Saturday of the long weekend, that um, we decided to go, we often do it anyhow, but it, just that day comes to mind, um, went for a walk on the mill race in St. Jacob's, which is one of our favorite spots for a walk. We've been walking there for 40 years. Wow. <laughs> I think I took you there for a walk one of the first times I met you. Anyhow, we'd gone out because there's actually a beaver dam about three-quarter ways down. And it's always fascinating to see if the farmer has pulled apart part of the beaver dam. So I said, let's walk down to the beaver dam. And then we were going to go to Chef Duff at River Song because on a Saturday he barbecues hamburgers, which are really good. Um, and I checked the weather forecast before we went. It was about 12 o'clock. And on my phone, and then I left the phone behind. I do that. So if sometimes you text me and you don't get me, it's because my phone is sitting at home. Um, so I checked, and it said, chance of showers later in the afternoon. I said, great, let's go. So we're walking along the mill race, and in the distance, you hear this, Bruh. and it was a little louder. Bruh. And I said, is that a sheep or is that thunder, right? And uh, Sharon says, I think it's thunder, but it's way in the distance. And then about a minute or two later, that noise became a whole lot greater, and I wasn't even to the beaver dam yet, so I said, well, we'll get to the beaver dam, and then we'll turn around, which is about a 20, 30-minute walk, right, back to the car, and the spits of rain started coming, so we turned around. Sharon said to me, she said, well, if you hadn't said turn around, I was saying turn around, right? So our, our little, you know, easy walk becomes a fast walk, becomes a jog, the rain starts coming down, it's, it's starting to blow, it's, it's looking a little nasty. In fact, both of us non-runners began to run. And just as we got to the car and we dove inside, literally people, the, the rain came down sideways in sheets, right? It only lasted a few minutes, but it, it was good. You just never know when those storms are going to come. They come when you don't expect them, and you come when they come when you don't want them. You know me, I love gospel music, and I love the way they can just bring an idea together. In the dark of the midnight have I oft hid my face, while the storm howls above me and there's no hiding place. Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Till the storm passes over. 
till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast. Let me stand in the hollow of your hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Keep me, hide me, protect me. Psalm 17 verse 13 says this, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Deliver, because I am weak. I can't do it myself. Deliver, because I am in distress. Deliver, because of your power. Deliver. Hear, keep, deliver. Psalm 17, verse 14. Deliver me from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion in this is in this life. Listen, these people who harass you, they aim for earthly success, and that is all will ever have. That is their reward. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. To behold God's face, what does that mean? It means to be satisfied, to experience his presence. To behold God's face, to be satisfied with his likeness, it means vindication over every adversary. To behold God's face, to be completely satisfied with his likeness, is to receive his blessing, not only now, but forever. His well done is ultimately all that matters. Let me close with a verse from another psalm. Psalm 30, verse 5. We'll look at it in detail some other day, but this is a verse you can stick on your fridge. Psalm 30, verse 5. It's a verse when life seems dark, when it seems that hope will never come. It's an encouragement from our sovereign Lord who hears, who keeps, who delivers. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let's pray. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh Lord, I need you. Lord, as we meet together in this place, we acknowledge we need you. Some of us have come here this morning bearing a very heavy burden, knocked down by criticism, hurt by unfair accusation, overwhelmed by stress, are just plain tired from the struggles of life. Lord, keep us as the apple of your eye. Hide us in the shadow of your wing. Hear, protect, deliver through the power of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.